0: Joshua's journey of faith, is a, uh, it's, a, it's a tremendous journey of faith. And again, there's so much that we could say about Joshua and his character as a, as a man of God, from his time walking with Moses to his, uh, to his time where he leads uh, the children of Israel as their kind of commander-in-chief. But this morning, I want us to focus on the first nine verses of chapter 1 as kind of a, uh, just a, an overview of Joshua's life. You know, when we're, when we're young, we fear things like dark rooms and scary movies, right? We fear things like bullies on the playground. But as we get older, we learn to fear different things. We fear things like life transitions, big changes, acquiring more responsibility, We fear things as our kids grow older, like what will happen as they start to drive and what's going to happen to them as they begin getting into the dating relationship. I mean, every stage of life brings and introduces new fears. Well, it's the same for Joshua. Joshua's been serving alongside Moses, the servant of the Lord, but he's transitioning into a brand new stage of life. This is a stage that he's not walked in before. And so as we... Uh, As we prepare to read the text, I I want you to pause and pray with me that God would open our eyes to see the truth of His Word this morning. Let us pray. Father, we are Your people, and we are laid bare before Your Word. You see in us. You see through us. You know our hearts. You know our minds. You know even if we don't even want to be here today. You know it all. You know everything about us. And so I pray, God, that You would speak into our lives today, in this moment, through this few short minutes we have together, really in the scope of all eternity. God, we want to hear from you. We need to hear from you. So by your Spirit, would you speak, Lord? Have freedom to speak. Anoint our ears, anoint my lips. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, for it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. As we've walked through this journey of faith series, we've looked at several different characters, we began with Noah, we, then we ventured into the Abraham story, and we saw how God sovereignly called a man named Abram to leave his home and family and, and to follow after God into a new land. God covenanted with Abram to make him a great nation, and so ultimately all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him, through Abraham. And so God promised to give him the, his descendants the land of Canaan, God makes this promise to Abraham numerous times through the book of Genesis. And then we see throughout the book of Genesis, He continues to reemphasize this promise to the other characters, the other men of faith in the book of Genesis. And so we get to, to Jacob. Jacob was Isaac's son. Isaac was the son of Abraham. He gave birth to, uh, they gave birth to Jacob. And in the Jacob narratives, we saw his long journey to faith. We saw that it was filled with deception and manipulation and craftiness. But yet, in spite of all this, God used a man named Jacob with a very flawed character. And in the midst of his life, over that 20-year period where he was kind of in exile, if you will, God was doing this work of transforming this man's character. said, so ultimately, his name was changed from Jacob, deceiver, to Israel. He strives with God. And it was ultimately through Jacob's loins, this great deceiver, that the nation of Israel would be birthed. The twelve tribes of the sons of Israel, the twelve sons of Israel, were birthed from Jacob. And then it was through his son, Joseph, that we learn of his older brothers being mean and sending him into slavery. It was the Joseph story where we saw the challenge of enduring faith. And we saw how God's providential hand was at work through all of Joseph's life, through the pitfalls and through the the peaks. God was there in the midst of it all, and all the while orchestrating something huge. He was orchestrating bringing all the children of Israel to the land of Egypt. And it was through their arriving at Egypt that life on earth would be preserved, for there was a great famine for seven years on the earth. Consequently, Jacob and all his sons moved to Egypt and occupied the best land in Egypt, the land of Goshen. And it was there for the next 430 years that the children of Israel would flourish from 12 families into a great nation. So We kind of fast forward through the books of Exodus and Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, we get to the book of Joshua. When we get to the book of Joshua, we see that there's this man named Moses that has had an instrumental part in delivering the children of uh, Israel from Egypt. And this morning, we'll look at Joshua's story. Moses had led the children of Israel out of captivity in the land of Egypt, and he had led them through the wilderness for 40 years to the edge of the promised land. Moses, the servant of the Lord, isn't allowed to enter into the promised land And so he's unable to enter because of his disobedience. And he passes the mantle of leadership over to this young man named Joshua. But before we read the text, I know this is a bit of an introduction. Before we read the text, I want to give you some context. In Deuteronomy chapter 34, beginning in verse 1, verses 1 through 4, here's the context of what was happening in this window of history. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite of Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead, as far as Dan, and Naphtali, the land of Ephraim, and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain that is in the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zor. And the Lord said to him, Abram, Abraham, Um, To Moses, excuse me. This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. Verse nine is a is an important verse here in Deuteronomy chapter thirty four. And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Joshua's life, up to this point, has been lived, really, in the comfortable shadow of a great leader named Moses. Moses was a unique man. For verse 10, it it tells us about Moses. There has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew Face to face. You see, Moses walked with God. Moses knew God face to face. He would meet with God as a man meets with his friend. And Joshua enjoyed being second in command under Moses. But when Moses passed away, it was time for Joshua to step up to the plate. And Joshua moves from second chair now to to first chair And so Joshua's story really is one of of a growing faith as he steps out to lead God's people in believing and embracing God's covenant promise of a new land as they're about to cross the Jordan. And so this morning, here's what I hope we will see and, and the challenge I hope we will walk away with from this text. God's promised presence for believers assures the church that Christ will accomplish His mission In the world. This is what we see happening for Joshua. God promises his presence and promises success in accomplishing the mission. You see, God has commissioned Joshua to lead the people of Israel across the Jordan River into the promised land. And so Joshua's life challenges us in two ways I want us to see this morning. First, Joshua's life challenges us to believe the promise of God's presence. Believe the promise of God's presence. There are actually three promises that we see in verses 2 through 5. And the first one is the promise of land. God is faithful to his covenant. We see this in verses 2 through 4. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, and all this people... promise of land this is a huge promise of territory that god's going to bring them into this land and the promise of land represented the long awaited promise of entering into god's rest for the people of israel they were entering the promised land where they would be free from the burden of slavery under their Egyptian masters. They would no longer be enslaved, but be able to govern themselves and to be governed by God and to follow Him and to have have freedom to worship God in everything. But a quick study of the history of Israel reveals that Israel failed to conquer all the land. When you read through, you realize that they didn't succeed in what God had covenanted with them to accomplish and to give them. And the question must be asked, if God promised it, why didn't He grant all of it to them? And I think the answer comes in Deuteronomy chapter 6, when God is speaking with Moses. And in verse 5, He tells him, you shall love... Uh, in verse In verse 10, rather. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that He swore to your fathers to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give, you, uh, to give to you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you didn't plant and you eat and you are full. Then he says, get this, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It's the Lord your God that you shall fear. Him you shall serve. And by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. You see, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. The point is, in God fulfilling this covenant with his people, He required that they would walk in obedience to His commands. He required that as they got into the land, they would follow Him. They would know that His presence was among them and that they would would not forsake their relationship with Him in order to serve all the other gods of the land. And so therefore, He had given them explicit instructions to dislodge all the peoples of the land. That's not what happened. They were unable to fully enter. Because of unbelief. Realizing the fullness of God's covenant promise was dependent on their wholehearted obedience of God's people. So the sadness of the book of Joshua is that the conquest was far from complete because so many of the inhabitants of the land were never dislodged. The same unbelief and lack of faith that hindered their parents from entering the land 40 years earlier had surfaced and plagued the next generation. You know what they did? They grew comfortable. They grew complacent. They were unwilling to push forward with, with completing the conquest after the initial gains had been made. They got comfortable in their houses, drinking from the cisterns that they hadn't dug and eating of the fruit of the land from the vineyards they hadn't planted. One commentator said that great landmass could have been Israel's had she risen to the challenge in faith and obedience. But like them, we know only too well what it is to settle for the attainable and miss the vast dimensions of God's potential grace in our lives. Because the reality is there's never any shortage of power or depletion of God's purpose on His part. So it must be true that none of us has less of God and His promised blessings than we truly desire. You know, the fact that they couldn't fully receive God's promise because of their disobedience and because of their unfaithfulness, it points us to the new covenant that God established for His people. And this new covenant that God established, It's actually the fulfillment of God's promised covenant with Abraham. And it's the fulfillment through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Their inability to fulfill the demands of the law and to live holy lives set apart before God, it showcases the brokenness of humanity, right? It showcases the brokenness of our lives that even we, we cannot live up to the law's demands, We cannot be good enough and holy enough in order to enter into God's presence. But this is why Christ came. This is the hope of the new covenant that God established with his children. That through the person and work of Jesus Christ, he would bring salvation to mankind so that he would fulfill the law completely and fully so that he would satisfy God's wrath against mankind's sin. That's my sin. That's your sin. And listen, this is the hope of the gospel. This is the truth of God's word. That we cannot earn our way into God's presence. And so this new covenant that God establishes in the person of Jesus Christ, it is the new way by which his children now come into his presence. The new way by which his children experience spiritual blessings. This is how God works in the lives of his people and what he desires to do. To bring us into salvation. This is what the writer of Hebrews is speaking about in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. He says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There remains a a time to enter into God's rest, spiritual rest. Verse 10, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his, and there also remains a future rest. You see, entering God's rest wasn't about the physical land of Canaan. Entering the promised land was really about knowing God's salvation and experiencing God's blessing both then and for the future. And it is the same for us. Entering God's spiritual rest is about knowing God's salvation, both now and the future. And so there is a certainty of eternal rest for the believer in Jesus Christ because God is faithful to His covenant. You see, God's demonstrated His faithfulness to mankind through His covenant, the new covenant, in Jesus Christ But not only is God faithful to His covenant, God sustains what He commissions. And I want you to see this in the second part of verse 5. Verse 5 reads, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Listen, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. You see, God made a promise to Joshua. God's promise to Joshua was that he would be with him just as he was with Moses. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you, Joshua. You see, God's commission of Joshua, I think, points us, points the church to Jesus' great commission to his disciples in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, where Jesus assures his children, Jesus assures his disciples, rather, of his presence and work through them to accomplish His mission of redeeming the world. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen through 20 Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Right? Therefore, as you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then what? Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, this calls the church, I think, this calls the church like Joshua to move out of our complacency, to move out of our complacent Christianity and to walk with Jesus in carrying out His mission. And the reason is because God sustains what He commissions. Jesus says, on and by my authority, I commission you to go into all the nations. In the same way, God has told Joshua, I'm with you by my authority. Go, cross this Jordan, enter the land, and fulfill what I have promised to my people. Church, I want us to hear this loud and clear. God's desire and design to work through the church is to accomplish His mission of redemption in the world. And God wants to use our lives, the lives of His people, the church, in order to see this happen. And this happens as we go. We make disciples of all nations. We engage in the midst of the culture in which we live. You see, God's promised presence for believers assures the church that Christ will accomplish His mission in the world. Thirdly, we see that God protects His servant. And this is really closely linked with God sustaining what he commissions because he commissions Joshua to go. And now we see in the first part of verse 5 that he, he, he says that he's going to protect him. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. This is the promise to overcome their enemies, right? This is the promise that God is going to be with him, will not leave him. And no matter how formidable Joshua's foes, God is saying, no man can stand against me. What's facing Joshua as he prepares to go across the Jordan into the land? Well, there are innumerable tribal groups in the promised land, groups that they'll have to wage war and battle with and dislodge from the land. He'd be marching into battle with an untried army, an army that had never fought a war before. There are many cities with great military might in this land. They had powerful warriors. This was the land of the giants, the Anakim. That was the report that they they brought back to Moses when they were in the wilderness. They were fearful of the great big men and people in the cities that were there in the land. And so this is what kept Israel from entering the promised land 40 years prior. These were all things that threatened the people of Israel and that threatened, I know what's going on in, in Joshua's mind as he was thinking about entering into the promised land, leading God's people. But hear the word of the Lord. God says, no one's going to be able to stand against you. Similarly, as in Joshua's day, I think the church today faces many foes. Too many really to even mention, too too many to mention all of them but some of the foes I think that are facing the church today are political correctness in our land. Political correctness that wants to silence the gospel. Wants to label the gospel message as hate speech. There's the abortionist agenda in our land which devalues human life. And as a church we must stand against organizations like Planned Parenthood By offering moms and dads a a better way, a different way. Advocates who are attempting and successfully attempting to redefine marriage, at least in the cultural view. As a church, we must stand for the sanctity of marriage. We must speak out boldly with the biblical definition of marriage. You know, we we realize that these are prevalent stances where culture is anti-God. But we must not stand idly by we must seek to engage the culture. We as a church, as we just finished that study, we, we are to counter the culture. These are foes of the church because they're foes, really, of God's kingdom. And like the inhabitants of the land who would want to stop Israel from advancing, these foes want to stop the kingdom of God from advancing. And so when I speak of taking a stand, I mean... More than just using words. I mean, we must be careful to make certain that our actions display the gospel that we are proclaiming. It's not enough to just oppose abortion, church. We must do things to take action in order to provide alternatives. It's not enough just to oppose homosexual union. We as the church, people within the church, the body of Christ, we we must have... Healthy marriages. We must display what the gospel looks like in marriages. And we must let our marriages display what God intends them to display. That is a picture, a portrait of the gospel. You see, it must begin with us. And when it comes to hate speech, hate speech has been around since since the early church. The gospel has been being labeled hate speech since the time of the Apostle Paul. Since Jesus' ministry in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5.11. Jesus tells his disciples, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Colossians 1.10, Paul says, So walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Or in Ephesians four one, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Listen, church, it's my, it's my hope and it's my prayer that, that each one of us, as we're sitting in here and, and, and as we're processing what it means to walk with God and to follow him, that he would be doing this work in our hearts and our minds, even bringing to our our comprehension ways that he would want to use us and minister through us, Tara and I and another couple we brought the kids with us. We went to a meeting at First Baptist church in downtown a couple of weeks ago. It was a meeting to find out more information about foster care and adoption and you know it, it, here 's a way that we can make a practical impact in the lives of children in the lives of families in the lives of of, of women and men, parents who are considering even an abortion. Here, here's, in a way that, here's a way that we can engage and minister in our culture. We, we can adopt. We can be foster homes, foster parents for children. One, one of the ways that I'm excited about a possibility for our church to be engaged is uh, hopefully over the next couple of months we'll be able to develop a, a ministry plan uh, to support foster care families in our community. Maybe we can have a parents' night out here at the church and, and, and let foster families bring their children here so that we are, we are becoming a support system for those who are, who are doing this work of the gospel, maybe even without realizing that they're doing the work of the gospel by taking in orphans. Listen, the fields are wide open. Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. That he would give us workers. The harvest is plentiful but the labors are few. I'm praying that God would do a work in and through Crosspoint, through us, in order to reach our community with the hope of the gospel. What's the point? What's the point of all of this? I think just as God commissioned Joshua, so He has commissioned us. No one can stand against you, Joshua, as you go into the land. I think about Romans 8.31. What then should we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? Verse 35 of Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Are we believing the promise of God's presence to accomplish Christ's mission in the world? Do we wake up in the morning and say, Jesus, what do you have me to do today? How do you want me to serve your kingdom and engage in following you? I'm convinced that we won't see the blessings of God's promise if we're not walking by faith, following him, practicing his presence in our daily lives. Not only does Joshua's life challenge us to believe the promise of God's presence, I think Joshua's life challenges us to benefit from the prescription of God's word. We see this in verses 6 through 9. Follow along as I, as I read verses 6 through 9. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. And night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know when I when I go to the doctor. I'm not looking for him to give me a description of my sickness. I don't need him to describe to me how the infection has set in. What I need him to do is I I need him to give me a prescription to remedy the sickness that is happening in my body. Similarly, God doesn't give Joshua a description of how to have a successful military campaign in order to occupy the land. Instead, it's interesting to me, what he does is he prescribes for them explicitly how they are to live faithfully following him. What we read in the beginning in Deuteronomy chapter 6 about God giving this command to Moses, it's the same command that's been passed down to Joshua. And so God's interest doesn't lie in their ease, in their comfort. God is interested in their living faithfully following him. God doesn't He's not interested in, in just their ease and comfort of life in the promised land. God's first and primary concern for His people is the prescription of His Word as the remedy for the brokenness of their humanity. And this is the same instruction that Jesus gave His disciples in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, isn't it? What does He say? But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, And all these things will be what? Added unto you. You see, we show that we really believe God's promises when we walk in obedience to His commands. I think we see Joshua's struggle of personal faith in verses 6, 7, and 9. Joshua was experiencing growing pains in his growing faith. Three different times our text tells us well, the Lord tells Joshua in the text, verse 6, verse 7, and verse 9, be strong and courageous, right? Verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Verse 9, at the end, or no, in the beginning, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. <clears throat> Even at the end of the chapter, these words are repeated a fourth time, verses 17 and 18, by By the people of Israel. They tell Joshua in verse 17. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Look at verse 18. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. You think Joshua didn't need to hear? This reminder to be strong and courageous? One commentator says, clearly, Joshua is no omnicompetent superhero. The same command had already been issued three times in Deuteronomy, and now, on the verge of crossing the Jordan, it would not be surprising if his knees were knocking and if the people were aware of it. (laughs) Can you imagine they're standing on the edge of the Jordan about to cross, and they're all behind Joshua, right? And his knees are knocking together. He's he's fearful about crossing and leading this people. Remember, he's just stepped into this whole new world of leadership. I think God's word to Joshua generates the courage for him to obey. Look again at verse 6 and see what he says. It's deeply personal for Joshua. He says, be strong and courageous. Listen, for you shall give this people possession of the land, which I swore to their fathers to give them, right? Joshua, I'm going to do this through you. You're the man that's going to lead these people. You see, it was necessary for Joshua's spiritual growth that his fear be surrendered and submitted to his trust in God. And that takes a step of faith. You see, this teaches us that I think God's leaders aren't superhuman, superman, superwoman. They're in need of encouragement. They're in need of backing as well. Joshua was... In such need of this. So the congregation rallies behind him. Israel rallies behind him. And they, and they say, be strong and courageous. We're, we've got your back. We're following you. We all need this encouragement from God's word, though, don't we? Right? Be strong and courageous, believer. In your parenting, be strong and courageous. As your children go through these seasons and changes in life, be strong and courageous, believer. In your marriages, be strong and courageous. Husband, lead spiritually. In your marriages, wives, be strong and courageous. Submitting to your husband and that's it, praying for him. Following his lead. Pressing him up into Christ. In evangelism, believer, be strong and courageous. For the Lord your God is with you. Wherever you go, practice his presence. We need to be reminded of God's presence with us, don't we? You see, God desires that, that he would use us in accomplishing Christ's mission and redeeming the world. And the sad thing is I think there are an innumerable amount of Christians gathered across our nation this morning who are locked into their complacent lives because they fear the unknown of self-abandonment in their faith. They're not ready to let go of self-sufficiency and, and let God work in and through them. Many Christians are, are gathered in houses of worship across our nation and they're too content, all too content to remain in their comforts rather than step out in faith and trust God with their lives. Maybe it's the finances they have or, or their hobbies or, or maybe it's pet sins that are keeping them from experiencing the joy and the freedom and the power from walking, in, walking with Christ unhindered. think the church in America is a church consumed with false idols so much so that we follow those idols into the promise of happiness but it keeps us from the true joy of walking in the power and the presence of our Savior let me ask you believer is God calling you to be strong and courageous in a particular area in your life and you've yet to step out by faith and follow God into it be strong and courageous. Hear the words of 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I'm sure Joshua was fearful. But he had the reminder from God's people, from God himself, be strong and courageous Well, quickly, notice Joshua's need for personal growth in verses 7 and 8. And it teaches us that we must pattern our lives according to God's word. Joshua is growing in his faith. He's seeking to follow God and hear God's word to him. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Watch your steps, in other words, Joshua. Joshua. As you go into the land, be careful to do according to all that my law has commanded. Guard your steps. Guard where your feet walk so that you might have success. In other words, so that you might be wise in understanding. Follow me. Stay close. Keep my word at the center of your life. You see, God's word was given as the sole prescription for entering the inheritance that God would provide. In other words... God's way was the only way. It required undivided allegiance. It required unconditional obedience from Joshua's life. They were to practice in detail everything that God had commanded. And so in verse 8, God's word was to occupy the forefront of Joshua's mind, right? He tells him meditate on it day and night. Let it consume you, Joshua. Believer, let it consume you. Let the Word consume you. Know it backwards and forwards. Be a man, be a woman of the book. That's the challenge. We're called to be men and women of the book. Our lives are to be consumed with undivided allegiance, unconditional obedience to God. This is found when we walk in the way of Christ, right? John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Matthew 16, 24, if anyone would come after me, Jesus says, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You see, just as Joshua was to pattern his life by God's word, so we too must live our lives according to God's word. Let me ask you, believer, does God's word occupy the forefront of your mind? Are you daily giving yourself to meditation on scripture? Are you seeking to follow him in all your ways? Finally, this morning, Joshua's activity is accompanied by God's presence. We see this in verse nine where he says, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous Do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You see, God calls Joshua to a life of trust. Don't be frightened or dismayed, believe in me. Joshua was learning what it meant to practice the presence of God. I think too many Christians presume upon the grace of God and don't practice the presence of God. And it's for this reason that many Christians are ineffective in our Christian lives. We're powerless to accomplish the things of God because we fail to practice the presence of God. We walk through our days as fearful evangelists, as fearful disciple makers, as fearful spiritual leaders, as fearful prayers, as fearful in our faith. We, We walk through life in this way. But all the while, God has given us a promise in his word and a commission to fulfill. The resounding call of the gospel is to practice the presence of God if we're to experience the power of God in our lives. Because God is able and he's willing and he's desiring to work in and through his people. You see, Joshua was called to believe in God's promise, to live by God's word and to practice God's presence. The same is to be said of our lives. Because God's promised presence for believers assures the church that Christ will accomplish His mission in the world. How is the Lord speaking to you this morning, believer? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? How is God's Word challenging your life To practice the presence of God. To meditate upon the word of God. To believe the promise of God's presence. I want to challenge you this morning to submit and surrender to what the Lord wants to do and is desiring to do in and through your life. Ask God to show you how he wants to use you, how he wants to use Crosspoint to impact our community, impact this nation, to impact our city, the the nation, even all nations, For God's glory, what is it that God wants to do in and through our church, our lives for his glory? I'm going to pray and you respond as the Lord leads you this morning. Let us pray. Father. We confess that only by your spirit. Can you lead us? Only by your spirit can we. Hear from you and, and walk with you. And Lord, we need, we need to walk in your promised presence in order to experience the power that you give for us to live the Christian life. And so I pray, Father, that you would grow our faith as you grew Joshua's faith. I pray, God, that you would confront the fear in our lives and give us boldness to be strong and courageous. Let us depend upon the promise of your word that we wouldn't be fearful in all of our conduct, but, God, that we would be trusting in you and walking by faith. And, Lord, I pray that you would use us mightily to accomplish your work in this city and throughout the nations. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.